Now then, inside your bulletin is a call to worship that is from the 98th Psalm. It is a psalm of joy, of glory, of wonder, of conquest. It is a psalm that should have each one of us rejoicing. And so will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth with joy and sing praises. Let the rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Now let us take our Trinity hymn books and turn together to 149. In 149, joy to the world, the Lord is come. 149. Father, how grateful we are that we are again in your midst here in this place. We thank you, Father, for the blessings of the past week. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your faithfulness to us. We love your word, and we're here to proclaim it today. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would bless us with your uh, nearness, your closeness to us this morning and throughout the day. 
Father, we pray uh, for those who can't be with us this morning for any uh, for any number of reasons, but we pray, pray, Lord, that you would draw near unto them and would bless their their day. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for your precious love that we are most undeserving to receive. Father, we thank you for our salvation, this beautiful plan of reconciliation which you have provided, and we thank you that you use us as instruments for your love in, in spreading the gospel. So we pray that we would provide us open doors and, and opportunities to do so. Father, we ask that you would bless the singing of the hymns today. We pray that you would bless the preaching of the word as it goes forth. May it be effective. And uh, we pray, Father, that if there is anyone in this place who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. Father, we, uh, we just lift you up today. We praise your holy name, and, and uh, we ask that you would fill this place with your presence. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Several of us yesterday went over to Grand Rapids for Mike Pesuti's funeral, and one of the things that was emphasized at that service was the fact that Mike's journey is not completely over. There's still a day when Christ is coming again, and a day in which there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more grieving, which I trust every believer eagerly anticipates. They, they read Revelation 21 and 22, and in our consecutive reading through the New Testament, we come this morning to Revelation 22, which is a reminder of that day. And in light of that, they sang, or we sang at that service, Hymn number 599, which I picked out for us to sing this morning. So take your Trinity hymn books and turn to 599. The sands of time are seeking, the dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for, the, swear, the fair sweet morn awakes. And on that day the bride will not eye her garment, but he'll look, she'll look upon her bridegroom's face. We look forward to that day. 599 in the Trinity Hymn Book.
Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. We've reached the last chapter of the Bible, and what a glorious chapter it is. Last week when we were in uh, Revelation 21, uh, when that was read, we saw a new heaven and earth. Saw God making all things new. John was shown the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And we read that nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22 speaks of the river of life, as clear as as crystal river coming down from the throne of God. We are told that Christ is coming, and he's coming quickly. The time is near, and what a comfort and encouragement that is for believers. Christ is coming, and his reward is with him to render to every man according to what he has done. We are bid to come and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. We are also warned against adding or taking away from the words of the book of this prophecy. And again, Jesus says, I am coming quickly, to which we reply, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have the need of light of a lamp nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. 
Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in it. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. We go to prayer this morning. We want to remember uh, Pastor Bala and the Sovereign Grace Church there in Auckland, New Zealand, and especially his last letter dealt with his ministry to to male-speaking pastors, the advanced training that's going on with them, primarily through Zoom because he can't get into other countries right now. But we want to pray for our brother as he continues to have a ministry among them. Then also we want to rejoice with those who rejoice and we want to give thanks to God that today at Grace Baptist Church in Canton, uh, they're recognizing another elder, Mark Bauer, will be recognized today as an elder there in that place and we rejoice with them as God has given to them another pastor. So as we pray, we want to remember these things in particular. Let's go to prayer. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the promises of that word. We thank you for the certainty of that word and the confidence that we have that what that word says is true. And even as we read this morning, we have been reminded again that there is a day marked on the calendar which we do not know when you will send your son back that day in which there will be great terror on the hearts of many who know you not. They will cry out for the mountains to fall upon them. Father, we, we pray that even before that day, many who know you not will come to embrace Jesus Christ even as their own Lord and Savior. But it will be a day of great rejoicing as our conquering King returns and establishes that new heaven and new earth where there is no need for light, because the Lamb is the light. 
where there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no grief. Father, no doubt many have gone through this week such things as grief and sadness and disappointment. Some have known of ones who have died. And yet, Father, there's coming a day when all those things will be wiped away, where there will be a continuous joy, where we will see our Savior face to face and worship Him. And Father, we pray that as the people of God, we would dwell more and more upon that reality so that we might press on, press forward until that day comes. But even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for the gospel, even now to go forth, that many would look forward to that day. We thank you for Pastor Bala and not only his ministry to the church there in Auckland, New Zealand, but Father, we're thankful for his ministry to many around the world who speak the Tamil language. And Father, we thank you that he was able to report that their advanced training on Zoom was was very beneficial, that you used in the lives of those men who gathered together to consider how to expound the Word of God. And Father, we pray that as there are the upcoming pastors' conference and advanced training conferences, that you might continue to bless and use that to the glory of your own name. Bless the magazine, the Bible Lamp, as it goes out to Tamil-speaking people. And may it be a means that you will use to bring many into the kingdom of God. Father, we pray as well that you would draw near to the brethren there in Canton, how we rejoice with them, that you've been pleased to give them another pastor. And Father, how we pray that as, as Mark takes on this responsibility, that you might bless his labors for good in the lives of the people there in that place. Father, we would ask that you would draw near to us. Help us to give ourselves to the attention of your word. Help us to honestly examine our own lives in light of that word. Come by your spirit. Do not leave us alone, but make the word of God, that sword that is living and active, use it in our lives to draw us closer to you. Use it, we pray, in our midst this morning to add to your kingdom. Father, we commit our time in your word to you. Use it, we pray, to bring most glory and honor unto your name. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to look into the word of God, take your Trinity hymn books again, turning to hymn number 168. 168, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, 168. <laughs>
seated. Deuteronomy chapter 5, the fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy as we continue our study through this book together. When last we were in the book of Deuteronomy, we were listening to a conversation that Moses was having with the children of Israel who were about ready to go into the promised land. And what Moses is telling them is what happened to their parents and their grandparents 40-some years ago. Moses spoke to them and gave them these ten words, these ten commandments, the Decalogue. And we know that they were not obedient. But they grumbled and they complained and, and they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That generation that left Egypt dies out. There's a new generation. And now Moses calls, calls this assembly of the people of Israel and he is speaking to them again and he is reminding them what God has said. And he is challenging them, will you do better than your parents? Will you obey? Will you do what God has commanded? And he sets those ten commandments before them again. Hear, O Israel. The statutes, the ordinances, which I am speaking to you today in, the, in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord your God made a covenant with us at Horeb. And the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. And the Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain in the midst of the fire. While I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes down through the other nine words or the other nine commandments. And then two weeks ago, we considered, starting in verse 22 through verse 28, what the people learned as Moses was speaking these things. There were four things. First of all, they learned the uniqueness of these words. There was something very unique. God spoke in a way that He had never spoken before. He spoke to the whole assembly as He gave them these ten words. Not only did He speak them, but, but He wrote them with His finger upon two tablets. These were unique commands for the people of God. Secondly, 
They were brought to see the greatness and the glory of God. They, they stood in awe and wonder as they watched the mountains burn, as there was this, this gloom over the mountain, and, and, and they realized how great and glorious their God is. Thirdly, they learned that there was a great distance that existed between themselves and their God. God overwhelmed them. And they basically said, say no more lest we die. They feared that if God spoke another word, they would certainly die. And therefore, they were brought to realize we need a mediator. And they asked Moses to be that mediator. For we read there in verse 27, Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you. And we will hear it and we will do it. Moses, we've been reminded. We dare not approach God on our own. But we need a mediator. You go. You hear what God says. You tell us. And then we will hear it and do it. Well, that brings us then to verse 28. And this morning, we will look at verse 28 through verse 33 together. Follow as I read it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Say to them, Return to your tents, but as for you, stand here by me, that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, and they shall observe them in the land which I give them to possess. You shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that you may be, that it may be well with you, and that you may you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Now, in this passage, in in these words, what we have is the response to what the people have just said about God. What is their response? What's the rest of the story? What happens next? And what we have in this passage, starting there at verse 28 to the end of this chapter, is really two things. We have the reaction. And secondly, we have the instructions. The reactions and the instructions. Now let's unpack that together. 
In verse 28 and 29, we have the reaction. In these verses, there's a couple things that God takes note of in His reaction to what they have just said. And the two things that He takes note of is that He's heard what they've said. He took note of their pronouncement. And then secondly, the Lord approved of what He heard. Two things. First of all, He took note of their pronouncement. He heard the voice of your words. They spoke to Moses, and God took notice of it. God heard what they were saying. I wonder, just on a sidebar, how different would we speak if we lived every day knowing that God hears every word that I speak. Did, did you ever find yourself talking to someone and didn't realize that somebody else was listening? Now, that, that can be good or, or that could be bad. Several weeks ago, I was having lunch with a young man and we were sitting in a booth, and we were talking away primarily about theological things. We were having a good discussion about the. Hardly anybody was in the restaurant, but we were having a good discussion about theological things. And, and the hostess brought in this couple, and they sat in a booth across the aisle from us, but we continued talking. I didn't think anything about it. But as we were talking, they were winding down eating, which means we had been there longer than perhaps we should have been. But the man leans over and he says, I've been listening to what you guys have been talking about. Which I wanted to say, I think that's called eavesdropping, isn't it? But he said, I, I so enjoyed hearing you speak about the things of, things of God. And, 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 and I, it just warmed my heart. And, 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 and I forget exactly, he had a, a challenge he gave us. It was a, you know, but I, and I trust you will. I forget what exactly it was, but he spoke about that. They got up and left, and we continued to talk. Had no idea this guy was listening. But he's listening to a conversation going on over here. The end of that story is I got up to pay, and, 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 the, and the waitress says, uh, your meal's already been paid for. What? Yeah, that, that couple paid for your meals. I would have ordered dessert had I known. But <laughs> now, now, think about that. God hears what you say. God hears what you say to others. God hears what you say to your family. I had to remind myself this week, God hears what I say under my breath. You ever talk under your breath? Get a little irritated? 
don't want to cause a big stir, but you want to get it out. So as you're walking away, you say, well, this doesn't make any sense to me. This is the dumbest thing I ever thought. God hears that. And the people of Israel were reminded God was listening when you were speaking. In Malachi 3, in verse 16, we read these words. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention, and He heard it. He heard it. As I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking, you know, we will be judged for our words. Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting of it in the day of judgment. That may keep our mouths quiet. Someone comes and says, I have a problem with gossiping. I, I, love, I, I just find myself talking about other people. Quote them, Matthew 12. You'll give an account for what you say. So the Lord took note of their pronouncement. Their pronouncement was, you go hear what he has to say. Bring it back to us. We will hear it and we will do it. That leads us to this. The Lord approved of what he heard. They have done well in all that they have spoken. He commends them for what they have said. He's delighted to hear that they understand they need a mediator. That there's a great distance that exists between them and God. And they do need a mediator. He's delighted that they want to have more direction from God. He's delighted to hear them say, we will hear it. He's delighted to hear them say, we will obey it. It brings a smile on his face. We will hear it and we will obey it. And he says they have done well. John Gill in his commentary says, not only in a general way as he hears and knows all that is spoken by men, for there is not a word on the tongue formed upon it, uttered by it, but what it is altogether known to him. But in a special and particular matter, observe, took note, notice of, approved, and was well pleased with what these people said. And the Lord said to, unto me, I heard the voice, I heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto me. Not only heard the sound of them, but I took notice of a sense and meaning of them. I listened to them with pleasure and delight. They have well said all that they have spoken, expressing such an awe and reverence of the divine majesty, desiring to have a mediator between God and them, and purposing and promising to hearken to and obey whatsoever He should, be, he should command them. Think of that. You know, you love the smile. Well, children love the smile of their parents. 
I trust many of us would love the smile of our employer. How much greater it is to have God's smile. And when He hears you speaking as you ought, He smiles. He smiles and delights in it. And so we see His reaction was one of taking notice or taking note of their pronouncement. But secondly, His reaction was one of a desire for His people. God expresses a desire for His people. He's heard what they've said, but He also knows their heart. And as we shall sing in a little bit, most of us would have to confess, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And what Moses expresses here, or what God expresses here, is a desire for these people. God was fully aware of the beat of their heart. And He expressed to them what His longing was for them. It was that their heart would beat with two steady beats. He, he, he wants them to have a heartbeat that beats continually with two consistent beats. You know what they are? Fear God and keep His commandments. May you, my people, consistently live with a heartbeat that says, Fear God. Keep His commandments. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Fear God. Keep His commandments. That's His expressed desire for these people. That there would be a fear of God. What, what, is, what is a fear of God? Well, let me give you two words that I think describes what it means to live in the fear of God. It's a God-consciousness. A God-consciousness. Thomas Watson says the fear of God is reverencing and adoring God's holiness and setting under, or setting ourselves under His sacred inspection. It means I live my life knowing that God is seeing all that I do. I am conscious that God is watching me. I don't know about you, but I can remember as a boy going to church, and if for some reason the five of us could not sit together, my parents would have us sit where? In front of them. Don't ever remember walking in and my parents saying, yeah, you guys sit back there, we'll sit up here. It was always, you sit up here, we'll sit back here. Why? Because they wanted us to know, I'm watching you. And probably happened more than once that I'd get a on the head. Which means I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was either hitting my twin brother or joking around with him or something, but there would be a tap on the head. 
And so I, I sat in church with what I would call a parent consciousness. They're watching me. And, and so to, to live in, in the fear of God means I live knowing that, that God is watching me. John Murray says, The first thought of the godly man in every circumstance is God's relationship to him and to it, and his and its relationship to God. That is a God consciousness, and that is what the fear of God entails. How often do we go about our daily duties and responsibilities with a sense of, of, of God consciousness? God knows. God's aware. God sees. Can I, can I give you a scriptural illustration of such a life? The man Enoch. In Genesis chapter 5, we read about this man, and you know what it says. You know what Enoch's famous for, right? Enoch walked with God. 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What does it mean, Enoch walked with God? Does it mean they strolled together down a path? No, it means wherever he went, his, his walk was always with God, with, with an understanding that, that God is here. God knows. Let's look at it. Look at look over to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. <clears throat> and here we have an example of what it looks like practically to fear God. Verse 11. Come, you children, listen to me. And I will teach you to fear the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that it may that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from the evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against the evildoer. Let's stop there. You see, here David very practically sets before us what it means to live in the fear of God. Come and I will teach you. What does it mean? You don't use your lips for lying. You don't pretend like God will never know. God hears. And you seek to do good. You seek to do that which is right in His sight. That's what it means to fear God. To know I'm always under His inspection. And so I pursue to do that which is right and good. This week, various circumstances that you were in or situations that you were going through and so forth, was there an understanding that that God is here. 
God knows. And, and I want Him to smile. I don't want God to frown. I don't want God to look down and say, Oh, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, that you would have a heart that fears me, that you live with a God consciousness in all that you do. I'm reminded of the passage there in Leviticus where it talks about the, the blind man that, that some might try to take advantage of because he can't see. And so you go up and, and you put something in front of him so he trips on it because he can't see. And the warning is, don't do that because God sees. And so here, he expresses a desire that they would fear God. But not only that, he goes on to say, and keep all my commandments. Keep all my commandments. I mean, this, this is an exhortation that we've heard over and over again as we studied Deuteronomy, right? Obey me. Keep my statutes. Keep my judgments. Do that which is right. We'll hear it on and on as we make our way through this book. We will be reminded this book calls us to love and obey the one true God. That's, that's what I put over this whole study. It is, a, it is a study that calls us to be a people that love and obey our God. Jerry Bridges says the major characteristic of one who fears God is obedience to Him. The major characteristic of one who fears God is obedience to Him. And then just look over to the next cha chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Notice how he starts it. We'll get into this in a couple weeks. It'll probably be three weeks. But we see here now, now this is the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your sons and your grandsons may fear the Lord to keep all of His statutes, His commandments, which I am commanding you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. And then, he, then he's going to start in, and for the next several chapters, he's going to be setting down these various regulations and statutes that they are to be obedient to. Psalm 112 and verse 1, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds delight in his commands. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 now all that has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Again, Jerry Bridges says, Obedience is the fruit of the tree of which the fear of God is rooted. Obedience is the fruit of the tree of which the fear of God is. If you're going to fear God, then you're going to be obedient to His Word. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Here's the exhortation. Verse 12. Now Israel... What does the Lord require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, 
and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments, His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Here here are three words that describes how we ought to live. We ought to walk with God. We ought to love God. We ought to serve God. And how is that demonstrated? How is my demonstration? How do I demonstrate that I'm walking with God, that I love God, that I serve God? All these things express the same idea. It means I'm obedient to God. I obey His commands. So my question to you, just by way of application, is this. Is my life marked by a God consciousness? Is my, is my life marked by obedience? When, when God's Word is clear, I must walk. I must live according to that Word. And there may be some who's sitting among us who believe they have a legitimate excuse They may not say it this way, but they're living it out. They believe they have a a good excuse for not being obedient to what God says they ought to be doing. Could that be any of us here? Do you know there's an area in your life, either as you live in the society, as you live in your home, as you live here in the church, where God has given us direction He's told us this is what you're to do, but you've not done it. And you think you have a legitimate reason for not doing it. I'd like to hear that reason. I'd like to hear the reason, and more importantly, I'd like for you to tell God, here's why I'm not doing what you've told me to do. And see if God says, oh, I don't know what I was thinking when I was asking you to do this. I I forgot all about you. You see how silly that sounds? We ought to be a people whose lives are marked by a fear of God and an obedience to God. Well, that's God's reaction. But then notice the instructions. Verses 30 through 33. And we'll... Get through this more quickly, I believe. We'll see. The instructions that are given in these verses come both from God and from Moses. First of all, the instruction from God. The instructions from God. Go back to chapter 5 if you're not there. And we see, first of all, verse 30. He instructs the people, Go and say to them, Return to your tents. Isn't that an interesting statement? Here's how I want you to live. I want you to live in the fear of God, and I want you to live in obedience to God. Now, go back to your tents. What's he saying? I want you to live this out exactly where you live. It's one thing when when we're all assembled together and God's speaking to us, and, oh, yeah, we're going to do it. But how about go back to where you live every day and and live this out. Go, Go back to your tents. Don't, don't just live this out in church. L- live it out at home. Go back to your way of life, to your employment, to your school, to taking care of dirty laundry, 
and fixing meals. Just this everyday things that takes place in your life. Go back there and live these things out. It just struck me as I was studying this passage, just that little statement, now go back to your tents. I mean, usually we'd read over that, okay, going home. But he says, I, I, I love what you just said. I approve of what you just said. Now go home and live it out. Every day. Then he has a word for Moses as well. He instructs Moses, you stay. You stand here by me that I may speak to you all the commands, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them and they shall observe them in the land which I give them to possess. God would deliver His commandments, His statutes, His judgments. Have them written down. We'll be going over them over the next months, years, whatever it takes. We'll look at them. But Moses, here they are. Now you teach the people. You see, it's different than the ten words. The ten words came directly from God. God wrote them down. Two tablets. But now, Moses, you're going to be the mediator. I'm going to tell you, and you will tell the people that they would observe them. They will do them. As they go into the land of promise. Why? That their lives may be good. Everybody talks about living the good life. You know, you ever meet somebody, you know, win the lottery? I'm going to live the good life. You know how many people win the lottery live a good life? <laughs> Not that many, folks. You get a man who gets ready to retire. He's worked 30, 40 years getting ready to retire. I'm going to go live the good life. And he dies two days later. No, the good life is walking with God. It's, it's, it's prospering in your walk with God. And so he tells Moses, you do this. And Moses does what he's commanded. But then Moses gives some instructions. Now Moses speaks to the people. And, and, and he says to them, So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And you shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You're to do these things. You're to be obedient. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God commands you that you may live, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you possess. You realize... Moses isn't going into the promised land. He knows that. But he wants these people to enjoy their life in the promised land. And so he instructs them to do what God has told you to do. That you might enjoy and delight in the life that you live. I have a question for you. Do you find your life fulfilling?
Do you live with a sense of satisfaction? Oh, I know that there's all kinds of, of roadblocks. There's pain and suffering. There's disappointment. There's hurt. There's death. There's grief. But just individually, personally, even in the midst of those things, do you find your life is, is filled with, with delight and, and, and just enjoyment and, and satisfaction? Now, I understand, you know, some of you will say, well, no, because not until glory will I be completely satisfied. I, I understand that. But, but is there, I guess I would put it this way, is there a peace in your life? A peace. That, that I can trust God with, with whatever circumstances come into my life. I, I can trust Him. And sometimes those circumstances are, are very difficult. But, but you know what? Even the midst of traveling through them, I'm not saying it's easy, but, but I can have a peace, a, a satisfaction as, as I seek to be obedient to Him in my life. I was speaking to a group of pastors this week, and, and, and as, we were, as I was speaking and said some things before them and, and so forth, and, and one of the men shared with us that this past week his his in-laws came to visit over Thanksgiving just going to stay a couple days or whatever and his father-in-law fell down backwards several steps broke his hip he was over at Hickman Hospital as far as I know now, he's over at Stevenson home, recovering, far from home. And he said, and my mother-in-law, she's there at the house. She has dementia. All of a sudden, he said, this week we have found ourselves trying to deal with a father-in-law who's got a broken hip, who has other issues now that are going on since the fall, and a mother-in-law who's got dementia, and I've got a church to take care of, and and all this is going on in my life, and I sort of sat back. I don't understand this. No, I, I can relate, brother. I can relate. But isn't it a delight to know that we can cast all those cares upon Him because He cares for us as we seek to live for Him? This is the practical outworking of what the Word of God says. The believer should have the most satisfying life. I, I'm, I'm often disappointed to see the world living in what looks to be a very satisfying life. When the believers seem to be struggling and biting and bickering and everything else, and you're wondering, what in the what? We've got things so messed up. Moses wants them to live a fulfilling, satisfying life. And that comes as we live with a God consciousness, a God fearing, and an obedience to His Well, I say all that, then let me conclude with this. As we've looked at these things together, most of us would say, wow, I've failed. I've not lived as I ought. How can I ever approach God? I know my own heart. I know my own failings. 
I, I know my own sin and at times my own disobedience. I, I know that, that those days in which I gave in to the flesh and, and I know those days in which I yielded to temptation. I, I acknowledge that, I, but I, I want to I come to God. I want to draw near to Him, but, but what hope do I ever have of drawing close to a holy God? How can I ever do that? That brings us to the same things the people of Israel came to understand. I need a mediator. I need someone who will go before me. And that's Moses was an imperfect mediator. You realize that? He was imperfect. He wasn't going into the land of the promise because of his own disobedience. But we have a perfect mediator now. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was complete fulfillment of these ten words. He lived by these ten words. He never broke these ten words. And He's our mediator. And He goes to God for us. And it's through Christ that we're now able to stand before God. I stand with God, not dressed in my own righteousness, for that's His filthy rags. Even, even my goodness is His filthy rags in God's sight, but clothed in the righteousness of the mediator, Jesus Christ, clothed in His righteousness, I can boldly come before God, for He sees His Son in me that I have come to know by faith. What a delight. What a delight. So now, I have access to the Father. I spoke to Him this morning. I spent time with Him this morning. Almighty God. How, how could I dare do that through His Son? He's my hope. And now, as a child of God, I do want to be obedient. I do want to live with a, a, with a God consciousness every day. And, and I, I, don't, I don't have it mastered. <laughs> but I have a God who's faithful to forgive and I have a mediator who's speaking to God on my behalf. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior is He. Friend, do you know Him? Do you have that assurance that Christ is your Lord and your Savior? And so we close. In a few minutes we will sing the hymn Prone to wonder. Imagine God saying to us, saying to this people here, oh, oh, that you would have a heart to fear me and be obedient to my commands. And we'd have to confess, Lord, it's not a perfect heart. It's not a perfect heart. But your son, your son has a righteousness that makes me acceptable in your sight. But Lord, give me a greater desire to live in the fear of God and be obedient to Your Word. Well, may God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for giving us this time together. We thank You for just the reminder of how we ought to live. And forgive us for not having a fear of God as we ought. 
Oftentimes we would confess that we tend to fear man more than we fear God. Forgive us and help us help us to be obedient. Father, perhaps there are, even as we mentioned, some sitting here this morning who know there are, there's an area that their life is, is a contradiction to the clear teaching of Your Word. And Father, may, may You work in their heart that they would seek to make that right and do what You tell them to do. And Father, we know that there's some who sit here who don't even know You. We're glad they're here. We're thankful they're here. But Father, their greatest need is to come and bow their knee to King Jesus. And how we pray that that would take place even today. So do a work in hearts and lives that only You can do. Give the only increase that You can bring. And we'll give You the glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hymn number 400, hymn number 400, Here I raise my Ebenezer, which means here I confess I need help because of my own proneness to wonder. May God help us to come to that fount of every blessing. Number 400 in the Trinity Hymn Book. Stand together as we sing.
fear God and obey Him. May God help us. We're having lunch together. You're having lunch together. And uh, then we'll have an afternoon service around the Lord's table. You are.